NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that you can stay close to your team even if you don't live in their town. Like, maybe you're a Raven who married a Seahawk who got a job in the land of the Falcons. With NFL Sunday Ticket, you can watch your team's out-of-market Sunday afternoon games no matter where you live because you shouldn't have to change teams even if you change towns. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. Wait, are you gaming on a Chromebook? Yep. It's got a high-res 120 hertz display, plus this killer RGB keyboard. And I can access thousands of games anytime, anywhere. Stop playing. What? Get out of here. Huh? Yeah, I want you to stop playing and get out of here so I can game on that Chromebook. Got it. Discover the ultimate cloud gaming machine, a new kind of Chromebook. The grade cricketer is a Twitter stream. It's about playing cricket at the grade level. It's a tough, mean, dirty, dirty business being a great cricketer. A lot of cricketers, you know, that's all they know. They've mm. done it since they're 10 and they have a deep-seated fear of change. The great cricket is all about being the most alpha version of yourself as possible at all costs and at all times. I don't bat or bowl. I just feel a gully, count the number of dot balls in a row, sledge 15 yards, make me feel better about myself. Thanks, Thanks champ. champ. Oh, no, you called me champ. <laughs> And welcome back to the Grade Cricketer. Here we are again, pre-season jitters. There's energy in three separate rooms across the land. My name's Ian Higgins, and I'm joined by Dave Edwards and Sam Perry. It's a huge show, Gideon Hay. And of course, because it's the first show of the season, Ed Cowan. Um, Who wants to start? Pez, welcome. Thank you. It's good to be in uh, Australia for the first time uh, in Mm. a couple of years. And yeah, I wanted to lead off by saying... Well, just to to start with an apology, because there's just going to be too much, this show, from us. We're we're far too excited. It's been too long. We're like uh, year 10 kids with a a bottle of vodka or something. You just really should temper it um, and and take it easy. Um, That's not an uh, endorsement of drinking. But uh, what am I talking about? There's there's going to be too much. There's just been like an absolute summit on the identity of Australian cricket over the last few months, and our voices have been Mm. kind of uh, like haven't been there for it. So it's high time we're back. There's been like a public culture review. Everyone's talking about the death of the alpha male. You know, Justin Langer recently talked about, like specifically talked about working soft. Like that was literally his term, working soft. The new CEO has a grassroots mandate. I did that once. Uh, this, mm. <laughs> like, this is really fertile soil you know, as we welcome this new era of uh, good blokes who average 30 and celebrate draws. Oh, it's well, it's a new era, isn't it, lads? And it's good to be with you both. It's good to be in the same country as you say, Pez. It's I've just been waiting for you to come back home. You've been away for too long, and the Skype connection has never been surer than it is now. Um, really <laughs> excited to talk about the new era of acting soft and being soft um, because we've talked and made a you know fledgling niche career out of uh, all things alpha. Are we, is that going to change this summer? Or are we going to have to remodel our entire ethos and identity? Probably not. Well, only time will tell, and um, I'm looking forward to asking Gideon, is this new age meaning the death of our social media channels? Almost definitely, yes. Um, we've, we've heard your cries all over the internet, your yelps in pain, um, asking, when's the podcast coming back? When's it coming back? You know what? We've had a, we've had a really busy off-season, um, and we're, try, we're trying to put a whole bunch of stuff together and getting our lives sorted as well, but um, yeah. maybe someone else can talk about what we've been doing over winter. 
Where have we been? It was a couple of yeah, a couple of things. Well, the, the first thing was I think a few months ago, and people may have seen this. We we launched our we, we celebrated the UK release of our book at the Oval. Yep. Uh, I don't know why that like esteemed historical ground allowed three <laughs> random blokes from the internet to their um, to their long room, but they did. Um, and we had about like 200 people there, which was incredible. Yeah. 97% men, as the Facebook analytics uh, predicted, and uh, <laughs> were able to <laughs> talk about our book there. And uh, we had Sam Robson along, who's uh, obviously an eastern suburb, former eastern suburbs grade player, England test player, um, yeah. in that order. Uh, and yeah, we said that as well, so, yeah. respectfully. And, uh, and, and now he's with Middlesex. There's been a couple of other things. We've done some videos with Cricket Australia. He goes that yep. people might have seen and, and obviously um, repelled allegations of selling out, yep. um, mm. which, which has a few issues with it. Uh, but uh, <laughs> let's not go into that. Yeah. Well, it's just that usually um, when you sell out, you, 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 you earn income and don't make a loss. So if you think we've sold out and you've got a problem with it, can we borrow 20 bucks? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, but really happy to take everyone's feedback on that, especially the person who wrote that uh, all the acting is really um, stunted. So thank you for that. Um, <laughs> to be fair, you know, it's very difficult to make comedy with, you know, 17 blokes with lanyards staring over you. But, you know, it was wonderful <laughs> to partner with CA on that and we've sold our souls to the devil. Can we talk about, like, our takeaways from the CA videos? I mean, like, I know we've all got the same thought, but... Um, uh, I can't remember if we put the photo up on social media. It's on my social media anyway. Um, but like the, my, the the big takeaway was just like just how much to be a professional athlete in any sport, you just have to be a genetic freak. And so if you're not a genetic freak and you're listening to this and you're 15, just stop because yeah. there's there's oh. no point. Like just how, be standing they next were just to unbelievable yeah. specimens, aren't they? Just like their mm. skin folds, like and and they would know their skin folds to two decimal points, like we know our batting averages in third grade are two DPs. <laughs> But I just can't believe how tall and lean and how well their outfits hugged their bodies. Yeah. Um, and now I'm scared mm. that I've said that on a um, public forum. But <laughs> we are just not them, are we? They are a cut yeah. above us physically. I also like that we're just self-referential right at the top of this podcast, having them explained what these videos were, just presuming that everybody listening to this cast uh, just just knows the CA videos. We, we recorded um, a series of videos with Josh Hazelwood, Pat Cummins and Mitchell Stark at the SCG in Dornet. It's a place where we tried to cut our cricket dreams about um, two decades before that. And um, yeah, it was about an hour with them and like they were given their new Cricket Australia kit beforehand and like I can confirm that as they got changed into it, like they were exceptionally interested in the design of the kit, whether it was better than the years before. They were pretty happy with it. It looked amazing on them. And like, as you, especially me standing right next to them, I just thought, oh, I was never going to make it. Like, look at their hands, look at their bodies. I was never going to make it in professional sport at all. Absolute pauper compared to those mm. specimens. And they were also like really good at just idle chit chat as well. Like surprisingly yeah. so, they were one. You know, I, I wasn't yeah. expecting them to be so socially adept, but you know, yes. I learned some wonderful tidbits. I learned that Brett Lee has an elevator in his house. Didn't know that. <laughs> A little bit of inside information. Doesn't fancy the stairs being. How do they know about us without having any sort of social media? Was was my big takeaway from that. But also, goodness me, I mean, the oceans on on the front of uh, um, Pat Cummins's face. I mean, what beautiful mm. blue eyes! Mm. I mean, I fell in love eighteen times. Also, it was quite funny when you picked up um, Pat Cummins' bat without asking yeah. him, and mm. then Mitch Stark said to you, "You didn't want him to do that, did you?" <laughs> <laughs> Can't touch people's kit. Um, no, it's right, too well, nice. That's enough. Um, 
that's, that's probably probably enough on, on the now infamous CA videos. Like them, comment, tag your mates, or do whatever you... I don't... Mm. It doesn't matter. We, we, we actually owe a lot of money to a lot of different people. Mm. Um, another thing that we've been working on over the course of the, uh, of the summer um, coming up is, uh, is some live shows. And one thing we've locked in already this year is a live show in Sydney on January 3. It's at the Comedy Store. Um, I don't have the website link in front of me, but if, you, if you're proficient with the internet, because it's 2018, you can literally Google the Great Cricketer Comedy Store or the Great Cricketer Live, and you'll be able to find it. Tickets are available. They're 40 bucks. January 3, the Comedy Store. It's a live show. It's the three of us basically doing a live podcast, special guests. Mm. You, get the, you get the gig. Um, if you're outside of Sydney, um, then get in contact with us because we'd love to travel around and do a show in your city as well. Um, there's also been big changes in the media landscape since we last spoke. There's a new rights deal in Australia. Um, it's the same voices, but 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 different graphics. There's a new. Um, the one thing I am interested in above all else is the new Fox Cricket anthem, which came out the other day. Obviously, there's been the the iconic Channel Nine Wild World of Sports anthem that we've been listening to for many years, and you know some of the privileged folk who are able to go into the media centre at the SCG will mm. listen to that in the elevators as they go up, mm. um, <laughs> and, and rue the fact that they'll no longer be able to do that. But I had mm, a listen yeah. to it, and um, it's it's going to grow on me. I think it's a grower. Very mm. Trump. It's, it's a very very kind of like polyphonic spree, a bit of like indie kind of euphoria throughout the middle mm. of it as well, which I, I think is very 2018 and and, and surprises me from Fox Sports, <laughs> to be frank, but I welcome the change. I also had some sort of epiphany as I was watching the a new ad um, promoting the channel. And it was like all the commentators commentating like backyard games or beach cricket games yeah. and stuff. And like the commentators got just way more excited um, you know, in an acting sense, in their commentary, than I've ever heard any of them actually commentating a proper cricket game, and it made me think like mm. that's actually part of what cricket commentating is missing. Like, like mm. what people loved about Bill Laurie and Tony Gregg. I mean, I apologise to people who who are listening outside of Australia who who haven't heard them commentate before, but just that energy they brought, just the over the top comments, that kind mm. of stuff. But you don't actually get that from mm. the new age of commentators because they're all sort of mm. quite new and trying to find their voice, etc. But I would just mm. love for you know Shane Warne to properly lose it on a commentary. You know, someone's taking a catch <laughs> and just just going absolutely mental. Probably the most famous piece of commentary in Australia in the last probably 15 years was when mm. Peter Siddle got a hat trick on his birthday and Mark Taylor just lost it. There needs to be more of it. <laughs> that was my epiphany. <laughs> what did he do? Just like just lost his train of thought? I don't even remember. Yeah. He, he just kept talking saying about it was his birthday. Conditions. He's got a hat trick on his birthday. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, I mean, uh, th there has been a lot of media changes uh, and, and, th and there's going to be a lot that has been said and th there's a lot that will be said, particularly comparing the uh, host broadcasters, Channel 7 and Fox, and uh, we'll be having a bit to say about that as well. But obviously, you know, the biggest change in media that's taken place is um, the homing of our <laughs> podcast and uh, yes. it, it, it gives me great pleasure on behalf of the three of us to announce that we have changed clubs uh, we're no longer <laughs> allied to Rupert Murdoch. Uh, we're no longer Rupert people, for now anyway. Uh, and um, we've, we've rehomed our podcast to uh, the Diamantina Podcast Network, otherwise known as mm. the network that hosts the Batuta Advocate. We're part of the Batuta clan now. We've entered their stable. Mm. They, um, they wined and dined us or just gave us cans mm. of Batuta bitter, a great bitter. 
mm-hmm. uh, at their mm-hmm. studios, yep. which has um, the most haunting mural of Steve Smith you will ever see in your life. <laughs> uh, and the combination of that beer and the Steve Smith mural, I think, was enough to sway us out of the uh, oh, clutches yeah. of Fox Sports, <laughs> a multinational mm. uh, broadcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because we're well, smart like that. I mean, I'm surprised all that... the times we thought it... Yeah. Oh, sorry, I was here. No, mate, I was just saying, like, it's a huge deal. I'm so, so big that, you know, the ACCC should have blocked it <laughs> for being anti-competitive. You've got the Batuta, <laughs> and then you've got the grey cricketer in the leaders in satirical niche Australian-centric online content. You know, it's like Coles yeah. and Woolies teaming up, but better deal for the farmers. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking. And we also we, we also thought that now was the time to leave Fox Sports as well. I mean, we, we made that decision <laughs> that it was that, that now was the on right moment terms. for us. We did it on, on our, our terms. On our, on our terms. On our terms. Exactly yeah. right. All right. No one cares about this huh. except for us. Um, yeah, but that exactly. was funny for us. Um, so last time we got together, um, it all kicked off in South Africa. And I was, you know, just getting, doing some research before the podcast. That's right, listeners. We actually do do some research before we jump on air. Some, and I was just thinking about how wild that South Africa series was. It was just mental. And again, I'm looking forward to, to talking about that um, with Gideon in a moment's time. But like all the stuff with Warner just going mental at De Kock, and obviously one of my, my my lasting images of not only that tour but my cricketing, um, you know, consumption in my entire life of Faf Duplessis walking out in a towel and just diffusing the entire situation. And then of course, Sands Paper Gate. I don't know why the gate has to be attached to everything as if it's Watergate yeah. or anything else like that, but, um, but that's where we were. So, so, lads, what's happened since, since Sandpaper Gate? Well, I think that was obviously the apex of, like, alpha cricketing life, and it needed to. It needed just a big clean-out, like a good 12-bar um, blues yeah. that needs to resolve itself or, like, a big thunderstorm, and now that resolution has come. And uh, all of a yeah. sudden, Steve Smith and Dave Warner are, are back down at the very bottom of cricket, playing grade cricket, and um, the clean-cut <laughs> Tim Payne and Usman Khawaja are at the top, um, and, and we kind yeah. of just have to start again. It's, it's, it's very Trumpian in that sense. It feels like something's brewing, and cricket had already brewed, and it resolved itself. So now it's the, it's the beta era. I thought we should talk about Smith and Warner playing grade mm. cricket um, because um, mm, that was right. th- that brought forth all kinds of um, reflections on what it means to play amateur cricket. And I guess the one that was most offensive to anyone that's played grade cricket was the reference to it being Park. Oh, Steve Smith and, yeah. and, and, and Warner have gone back to <laughs> yeah. Park. And all grade cricketers were yeah. hoping on yeah. their debuts or their returns to grade cricket was that they'd fail. So everyone could say, like, oh, yeah, that's quite a good standard. But they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't. They both absolutely hammered it and Warner... Celebrated with his Toyota thing. Yeah, my big um, my big takeaway was well, actually Warner's second um, innings that he played. He I think he got three or something <laughs> like that. I think he got three mm. off eleven balls. Mm. I think. Um, and then someone tweeted this, or, and then just like it was one of those situations where they did a tweet, and then they proceeded to tag every single media corporation. Um, that's oh, yeah. existed in Australia since the 70s. Yeah. <clears throat> and it was just like, it was basically, they were just watching the game, but they gave him a send-off. And that mm. really speaks to your point, um, Pez, about how it's just like, yeah, you're not celebrating this week. It's actually a really good standard, even though he scored 100 <laughs> against Josh Hazelwood the week before. Yeah, yeah I love how that was just, was just written off as park. Like, yeah. Hazelwood, Trent Copeland, like yeah. so much pressure, like hundreds of people, yeah. the nation's media on site. Yeah. And 100 under pressure, you know, on your return. Nah, it's just parkies. Yeah. Parkies. 
was the celebration necessary though? Just just for devils? Was it? It was. Oh, he's never. It was quite something. You he doesn't know this? anything different. He goes like, it's been so long since he would have hit a hundred that you know he wasn't being paid for, or, or he may probably just getting bit on the table just there. But <laughs> you know, ever since when when did he explode onto the T Twenty circuit? Ever since then, he's mm. been a brand unto his own, and now he's gone mm. back amongst you know blokes who work at Office Works, you know, just humble parkies. <laughs> And he's pulling out this professional celebration. It was a bit uncouth, let's be honest. Um, we also saw a picture of Steve Smith holding the covers. That, like that's like that's mm. those are the little things that I used to think about. Just like oh, just like the professionals, and like when you have to like make tea or do a scorebook, or there's like someone asks you to move a sight screen, mm. and you've just been given out. You know, mm. you've kicked one off middle again, mm. uh, nine weeks in a row, and then and then the captain waves out in the middle, and he says, "Boys, two two guys on the screens," and everyone just looks at each other as mm. if like, well, someone else will do that, yeah. mm. but. In a professional sense, someone else actually will do that. They're paid to sit there next to the sight screen. Yeah. But then, like to move covers, like covers is just covers is the worst part of cricket. Can we agree with that? The worst. Oh, there's lots yeah. of bad parts of cricket. Yeah, it's it's pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, Selling the game well. Bad. But then there's always the people that got really into covers, like to really display that you're a good bloke and to get amongst the covers in a big way. Mm. Did you guys yeah. ever do that, or did you just kind of loiter on the no. sidelines and put put a finger on a header? I was. Big on the Hessian, mate. Yeah, finger on the Hessian. Mm. <laughs> Name in the third book. Um, all right, well, carrying on with the theme of post-Sandpaper Gate, it's a new team, new mm. coach, new era. But is it exactly the same or is it different now? Oh, well, I mean, I think it's different. But it's, it's a new era. It's, it's going to be a stoic era by what happened in the first test, and I'm sure we'll go into that in great detail. But we do need to frame the new era, don't we? And it might be, is it too simple to say it's the beta era? I mean, there's complexities to it. It's not just a beta, uh, mm. less masculine, more sensitive, uh, almost a mm. Buddhist Zen approach to cricket. It's laid <laughs> and it's complex. And I'm looking forward to deep diving it with Gideon later. But um, mm. it certainly is a very different brand of cricket from, from Cape Town. And as you said earlier, he goes, the South Africa series, it just, it was coming to a, a real head, wasn't it, with the Rabada confrontations mm. and Water and mm. De Kock and then, you know, Faf stepping out in a towel to defuse the situation. That was probably the peak, um, the alpha mm. moment in, in cricket history, let alone mm. that series. But, yeah, coming down now, it's a sensitive New Age Australian cricket mm. team, yet same leadership at CA. Well, the, uh, this is an interesting thing. Like, I think they've made a lot of change, um, a lot to suggest that they're trying to get away from that era, but we'll always be sceptical about it because everybody came through the same system, so we're all the same and we all have that underlying hostility as soon as the going gets mm. tough. But, like, when you look at CA now, I guess there's a new coach. They've announced a new CEO that comes in sort of in, in some kind of indeterminate amount of time, um, and there's a essentially a new captain. Um, even the vice captain, mm. new vice captain, were announced and there's co-vice captains and it's all, it all sort of sounds very AFL because these co-vice captains had to kind of give presentations, four or five of them were in the running for it and had to give presentations uh, to a panel and I want, to see, I want to know what was in those presentations because like Alex Carey who was up for it having, despite not having played one test match um, spoke quite openly to cricket.com.au about how he sought out his AFL mentor Mark Williams and uh, presumably put together a PowerPoint template um, which would have been his first mistake because I think Hazelwood was using Prezi, uh, which is clearly superior. 
and why he um, why he got the job. But all of these things are kind of harbingers of change. But 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 are they really? Um, of course, though, when you see Tim Payne walk out there with just the most immaculate hair and just immaculate kind oh. of symmetry of clothes mm. and the mm. neatness of his hands, mm. uh, just ah. t- just taking balls behind the stumps, <laughs> and then finally. <laughs> With that innings on the fifth day as well, we'll talk about Kawaja as we, as he deserves us to talk to him. But actually, he probably doesn't deserve us to talk to him about talk about him. But even with the way Payne batted, you know, it's kind of accepted now. You need to bat differently in Asia, but I still thought Payne just looked like the most sumptuous expression of like ball machine cricket, the most perfect full face of the bat, bent knee, just very stable base, and he still just repelled, uh, you know, guys like Yazir Shah and Balil Asif. So I, I just. Cannot say a bad word about Tim Payne. Absolute. Oh, I love him. <laughs> well, let me try, Pez, because mm. I've got one small grievance with okay. Tim Payne, mm. um, and that's his photos before a test series um, that are released to the press for certain promotional purposes. I know where you're for going instance, with this. Last year, wicket keeping, wicket keeping gloves on, baggy green on, short sleeve shirt, yuck, yeah. repulsive. Right. This this series. <laughs> Clean, long sleeve shirt, pristine mm. whites, mm. blue trainers. Mm. Yuck. I don't know what's going on with like he's so close to like just just taking me over the edge. Do you think that isn't that like a isn't that like a technical uh, like from a photography point of view, like to often to put something mm. different in a in a shot, often is to draw the mm. the uh, the viewer's attention to it more. It's often to I don't really know where I'm going with this. I still didn't study photography or art history, but I feel like maybe that's a, a deliberate manoeuvre by Tim Payne. Okay, so you're saying this is like Trumpesque. He's like he's he's distracting us from the real issues. Don't 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 like just forget about sandpaper gate. Yeah, it's like the Mona Lisa eyes. You know, something a bit off there, and it really draws you in. Yeah, so artistically deliberate. It it possibly was. Yes. Okay, so 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 there's there's one um, grievance. Uh, What about Kawaja? Obviously, where where does that where does that innings rank? Uh, Australia were just headed to just a classic. Uh, capitulation, mm. annihilation at the hands mm. uh, of another Asian team, and along mm. comes Usman mm. Khawaja, who batted for about I think eighteen or nineteen hours and faced four thousand and fifty-three yep. balls. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's got to be one of well, the great all-time innings in Australian Test history. Yeah, mm. but it doesn't count, no Pez, because it's not it's not Asia; it's the Middle East. So that's that's sure. that's completely yeah, I've got different. A weird problem with that. Yeah, I mean, I know that technically and geographically <laughs> it is in Asia, but I've just, I just don't picture it in Asia. And, you know, in business parlance, you talk about the EMEA region, which is like Europe, Middle East, and Asia. I know that it can sometimes fall in, in Africa, sorry. It's, it's, it's separate mm. to that. I, I really struggle to reconcile that the UAE is in Asia. Mm. Yeah, we tra- we're sort of retrofitting it to the narrative, aren't we? You're going to have to have a whole yeah. new category of, of runs in the Middle East. Well, remember like when Damien Martins just was in like this amazing run of form in test match and he scored I think he scored a hundred he scored back to back hundreds in India and then another like 98 or 99 as well and he didn't win the Allen Border medal that year thus proving that runs away from home don't count so mm-hmm. if he had scored um, half the amount of runs half the balls but did it you know on a on a seeming Adelaide over wicket under lights with a pink ball mm-hmm. you know he'd probably be up for you know some sort of parliamentary uh, recognition but because it's um it's in the Middle East mm-hmm. um, you know mm-hmm. where some of you know the Allies worst atrocities have been committed mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Just keep, just keep talking until yeah, something horrible happens. 
I don't know why they didn't just bump Kwaja. I got him out once in a PG's game, just bumped him. Caught him boundary. <laughs> Classic leg side trap. Why didn't Pakistan just try that? In reality, it was the greatest shot I've ever seen off my own bowling. Yeah. Like, he just yeah. moved into position and just, like, pulled me at least 100 metres to someone on the boundary at Coogee Oval, like the long boundary. Mm. Um, did him, though. I, I like that he has played literally the second longest innings in fourth innings of Test cricket after Mike Atherton in '95, and our main reaction is like, "Yeah, but in in the Middle East though, and away from home, not sure about it. <laughs> Might forget." So and I got him out when I was sixteen. <laughs> <laughs> I was twenty. It's a PG's game, mate. Come on, twenty. He didn't throw up either. Dino threw up, and that was kind of like his legacy from the Madras tests back in the mid-'80s. He's too yeah. clean, and you, know, you just needed a bit more grit. I, I think in all seriousness, though, Pez, obviously we, we've decided to take the side of, ta- um, you know, choose the side of taking the piss, um, shockingly, on this very serious podcast. Mm. But um, um, for a bloke who averages 50 in test cricket, geez, he cops a lot of shit. Mm. <laughs> like, geez, he's like, yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah. yeah, I'm not sure about Kawaja. Yeah, like he, he's also opening the batting. Yeah, um, but he just does it a little I mean, too easy, doesn't he? It's a little, a little yeah. skeptical of that. Just comes to him a bit too yeah, naturally. He played a bad shot in the first innings, yeah. Dave. You know, yeah. he, sure he was on 85, but yeah, he just yeah, he yeah. shouldn't have been lapping yeah. there. You know, yeah. just yeah. getting behind it, front dog it. Yeah. But uh, to his credit, uh, a lot of people are taking much more notice of him because, according to the Daily Telegraph, he lost seven kilos. So yeah. and when you when you lose seven kilos, all bets are off. You're mm. supremely respected immediately. His rig's in a little bit more shape, and all of a sudden, there's chat about mm. him possibly being the next captain. So, do you, are you saying that he probably leaked that to the Daily Telegraph to get some some chat going? <laughs> he would have been well advised to. Yeah. I think any time you want to run uh, leadership, uh, amb- you know, show your leadership ambitions, just say you've lost seven kilos. <laughs> That's why Tony Abbott's always running. There is one thing that's secure in Australia. It's Australian politics and Australian leadership. True. Um, is Kawaja still wearing those massive watches, like those baby G shock watches? Because that needs to go. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, this is, a, this is the thing. Which side, of, you know, in this whole sort of new beta era, is new Australian cricket culture, there's a culture review going on. Like, what side are we coming down on here? Are we trying to try and maintain the alpha status quo or are we going to encourage a little bit of difference? Because if it's the latter, then you'd say, Usman, you just mm. be yourself. That's, that's the whole point. Or are we just going to mm. say, no, no, mm. be the stereotype that we need you to be, otherwise we don't understand what's happening. I don't well, know. I, I, I feel like there's an underlying fear here that's running through, you know, thinly veiled in this podcast is that, like, it, I mean, the peak of, uh, you know, our predictive powers and everything that we satirise happened in South Africa. Mm-hmm. And now that things are changing, mm-hmm. we are now fear of, we are, we are afraid of change. <laughs> that's what's happening here. I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be a really funny summer. I think that uh, obviously there's another test to go uh, in Abu Dhabi and then India will come out after a couple of one days that we truly will forget and uh, and, and I think it could be real I think it could be really funny like I think Australia is kind of ripe for the picking a little bit I think there's a lot of yeah. good blokes who average 30 and that's good I'm not against that uh, but I think like mm. having, having been in the UK over that winter like like Virat Kohli like smells blood and you know Pat mm. Cummins G'day, Pat. Love you. You can give him all the sniffs you want. Not that I'd ever heard that phrase in my life before, um, if you've watched the videos. But um, Coley, Coley sniffs a bit of blood. And um, 
I think you know India might go close, uh, and it could be good. It could be funny because we're really good blokes, and India could go mm-hmm. close, and it'll be interesting to see whether we um, want to be bad blokes again. Well, I don't know yeah. if we I don't know, heed what Steve Waugh wrote on Instagram, which is an interesting uh, sentence that I never thought I'd say. <laughs> that character over cover drives <laughs> is the new um, way forward for Australian cricket. Does that yeah, just eat at everything you ever knew? He goes. <laughs> Um, yes yes it does eat away at everything that I've ever ever thought particularly Steve Waugh on Instagram making comments about the Australian team that's everything about that is confusing in 2018 well while um, while Australia may well be trying to be good blokes for a long period of time one guy who won't be is Virat Kohli and we spoke to Virat earlier today no we didn't Um, (laughs) we never will (laughs) Um, second test is starting soon um, so, um, any 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 sort of predictions? Apparently, it's going to be green. It's a green top, apparently. Oh, that stuff's always there. weird, isn't it? You know, they show you the pitch like 40, 40 hours out of uh, before it plays, and yeah. then all of a sudden it turns up something else. Yeah. I mean, like, admittedly, I am genuinely red green colour blind, so when I've seen those tweets, I don't know what the <laughs> colour of the wicket is. But um, <laughs> but yeah, it could just it could be extremely hard under that. So I don't know. Yeah. Dave, is Australia going to win this series? If there's one team that can just blow up series to series, you know, test to test, session to session, it's Pakistan. Yeah. Or Australia, any sort of chance? Where's your money? You're a betting man. <laughs> <laughs> Gamble responsibly. Uh, look, I, I honestly can't predict what's going to happen in the next test. Uh, look, Australia has mm. the upper hand um, in salvaging that draw, and Pakistan must be seriously... <laughs> A little bit disappointed to have thrown that position away that they did. Um, mm. Look, I, I think there's some really positive things for Australia to take out of that that last match. Um, Pakistan, mm. what would they be thinking in these you know these days between? We've got Australia at the right time. You know, there's there's all this all this uh, selection decision and all these you know the cultural mm. views coming through and, and there's a lot going mm. on in Australian cricket. If you, if you want to take them on at any time, it would be now, and they've missed their opportunity mm. to uh, take the one 0 lead. So. No, I reckon mm. Australia 2-0. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a very good point. Well, whilst uh, there are many positives to take away, obviously the same, the same players are over there, and that's obviously without, uh, not without its own issues. Um, Marsh is batting three and four for Australia, mm. case in point. All right, um, Gideon Hay coming up after this, and then Ed Cowan. Ever looked for a new club online? Have things ever gotten so grim that you'd consider moving interstate or even overseas? just to continue your fledgling amateur career in a slightly higher grade? Bravago compares prospective clubs from various competitions. Grade cricket, shire stuff, even yuck park cricket, where the home ground has a tree on the field. Over 10,000 different clubs across the world, ranked according to criteria such as professionalism, pitches and tea spreads. Instead of searching for hours, Bravago makes it easy for you to find the perfect club in minutes. Just go to our website, Type in where you want to go, when you want to go, and press search. It's that simple. We don't care why you want to go, how old you are, what you averaged last season, or whatever else you're running away from. We just want to help you get there. Best of all, Bravago even allows you to search based on how shit the blokes are. Filter according to Spirit of Cricket rankings in order to find the club with the least amount of self-respect, and therefore the best cultural fit. With just a couple of extra clicks, you can get a real insider's look at your potential new club. Will a good-looking 30 get you instantly promoted up a grade? Was their club song penned by alcoholics? Is their major sponsor an Asian massage parlour? How many used syringes are typically found in the grandstand on a Saturday morning? 
Has the club president previously been indicted for tax evasion? And so much more. And that's how you can be sure you find your ideal club in time for the new season. New club, Bravago. It's always a pleasure to have this guy on the show. Um, I, I run out of superlatives to actually introduce him. Uh, I just want to say pretty much straight up, he's like the smartest guy in cricket. He's the best guy with words. He has all the best words uh, to use um, to bastardize someone else's <laughs> phrase. Uh, we'll try and throw a few at him in this conversation and see if he knows what they mean. Um, I'm, of course, talking about Gideon Haig, who uh, is a literary luminary, national treasure, all of those things bestowed upon him, um, and rightly so. He's got a book out this summer called Crossing the Line. If you want to know anything and everything about the sandpaper stuff and how it happened and how Australian cricket's just absolutely cooked, um, read that book because we have, and um, it's amazing. <laughs> There's some amazing yarns in there, really well told by Slattery Media Group. Gideon, hello. G'day. Uh, that introduction reminded me of the uh, that, that proverbial line of the football commentator who said, I've run out of expletives. <laughs> Great, so semi-literate. Cool. We'll probably that. say that at Cricket Australia. <laughs> um, I was just, just to kick off, Gideon, we were lucky enough to um, have a read of it, and uh, like I, I devoured it in about four long tube rides over in the UK. It was amazing. Um, can, can you just sort of give us a, like a, a, a quick uh, spiel about what the book's about? Well, what can people expect when they buy Crossing the Line? Yeah. Okay, well, you know, like a lot of Australian cricket fans, I, you know, woke up to find the world fundamentally changed in uh, in March, and I thought, well, <laughs> there's there's more to this story than meets the eye. I'm sure, certainly in the in terms of the uh, disproportionate public response, you've got a feeling that you know, a lot of people have misgivings about the direction of the game, the way in which Australian players deport themselves. Uh, the priorities of, uh, of of modern crick cricket and the and the uh, and the attitude of administrators and I thought well this is a good kind of touch point to uh, to, to begin an, uh, a, a sort of a panorama of Australian cricket and its, and its challenges and I sort of offered invitations to fifty people who I know and respect in Australian cricket to share their thoughts with me on a on a not not for attribution basis. And uh, I found that they were, you know, it was possible to have conversations in with those sort of people that probably wouldn't have been possible a year earlier. It kind of got people talking, got people thinking. It uh, got people asking, sort of uh, addressing fundamental issues uh, with the with the fundamental question, you know, how do we get here, and then why um, why do we face the dilemmas that we that we do? Uh, you know, I was I was. Saddened, but I wasn't completely shocked by, by what had transpired in Cape Town. I, you know, for for the last little while, like you, I, I've heard Australian cricketers espousing this kind of muscular cult of of the line, uh, this idea that you can take your behaviours to the brink of uh, unacceptable yet behaviour, yet still somehow you're always adamant that you know where where you can stop short, and it, it kind of left me uneasy. It sounded a little bit sort of robotic, and. Uh, so I thought, well, where does that attitude spring from, and um, and is it really right for us to expect uh, players to continually be drawing that line and not lose lose touch with it? So, kids, um, the the book is sort of bookended by the events that happened that afternoon with the whole sandpaper thing, <laughs> the whole thing. Mm. Um, but if I can sort of take it back to, to 2015 when Australia. Mm 
lost all in a very short amount of time. Clark, Haddon, Rogers, Watson, and Ryan Harris. Harris. Quite experienced yeah. cricketers at this, all at the same time. Um, at, at that time, Darren Lehman seemed to grow in stature and importance within the actual playing mm-hmm. group. And then you sort of had Steve Smith, a very inexperienced captain, um, and then Dave Warner uh, being Dave Warner. Um, and then in, in the sort of two in the years, two, two and a bit years that happened mm-hmm. since then all led to this moment um, at three o'clock in the afternoon in South Africa in Cape Town where mm-hmm. it all sort of came to a head. And, and like Dave, Sam and I were just talking collectively about we, we all sort of felt that this moment was all coming. And mm-hmm. but, but yeah. why was it all coming? Yeah, why? well, that's, I mean, I think you're, you're exactly right to identify that the hinge point uh I think even though Australian cricket kind of rode high at the end of 2014-15, you know, they'd beaten India at home and they'd, they'd won the World Cup, there were players in that team who could already feel that um, uh, the environment was not a healthy one and that uh, that, that maybe Lehman was, um, Darren Lehman was kind of, was a bit cooked, frankly, at the end of a very physically, mentally and emotionally arduous summer. But the case is these days that the, you know, the treadmill runs so consistently that it's almost very difficult to, to get off. You know, immediately after that summer, a lot of players went off to the IPL, then they had a tour of the West Indies, then they had a tour of England. It's very easy to go from one tour to the other uh, without being able to kind of address exactly how, how one is feeling. I can remember being in England in 2015 and thinking, this is a really, really exhausted group of cricketers uh, compared to what was actually quite an energetic and, and vital England side. It looked like a team that was, was pretty unhappy and, and, and going through the motions. Uh, didn't quite know uh, what to rely on and kind of kept coming back to this, this mantra that I talked about before, this kind of Australian way of playing cricket. This is when we play our best cricket, when we take the game on, uh, when we get under the opponent's skins, when we're in their face. It, it sounded like everyone was kind of trying to reassure um, everybody else that, that things were all right. But there wasn't anyone in the camp who was sufficiently independent and, and disinterested enough to address uh, the ambivalences and, and uncertainties that, that a lot of players were, were feeling privately. Mm. And I think you're right that, uh, that as a result of the, of the flux that that team found itself in in 2015, uh, the role of, of Lehman and the argument for continuity uh, became sort of subtly reinforced uh, at a point where perhaps it would have been healthier to, to make more wholehearted changes. Mm. I'm, I'm really curious, Gideon, um, at, the, at the risk of blowing up everything that we parody here, um, I'm really curious about this idea of the Australian way. How deep do you think it runs? You know, do you think uh, do, do you think that the current side, um, who are kind of really espousing their um, values of stoicism and resilience, and we've got handshakes before the game and stuff like that, do you think this is kind of lipstick on a pig kind of stuff? Do, do you think it runs exceptionally deep? You know, how connected is the Australian way to um, deeper culture, culture, cultural issues within the country? Um, you know, where does it start? I'm, I'm asking you to answer all of the questions I've ever had about Australian mm. cricket um, right now. But I mean, how, basically, my question is: How deep does the Australian way, that, that ugly side of the Australian way, run? Well, of course, there's the Australian team and there's the Australian game, and sometimes we're inclined to think of the two of them as synonymous and, and indistinguishable. But then at other times, that they seem sort of poles apart. So I'm not necessarily convinced that you can look at the Australian team and say that that is an absolute mm. 
100% representation of the uh, of, of 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 the game itself mm-hmm. and the way in which the game is is feeling about itself. Uh, one of the things that I really wanted to grapple with in in crossing the line is the system. And we often talk about mm. the system, the Australian cricket system, what goes into creating an Australian player before they uh, before they get to the top level. And I think that's the most disturbing thing I found about it was that we tend to think about it as a system. Mm. Uh, it's no longer a game. It's a kind of a centralised and and and, and bureaucratised cricket factory mm. where the Organic processes of player development that we all used to take for granted have been kind of suspended in favour of a system of rankings and metrics and, and, and careers planned to, to, to the finest degree. And you've got to question whether that system actually conduces to, to building character or, or revealing character. If anything, it might actually exacerbate uh, negative character traits and, and arrest sort of personal development. Mm. Yeah, kids. I mean, um, the, look, the Australian public obviously expects a lot from our athletes, and we've seen that, you know, the way that we perform the Olympics and, and the way that, you know, there was the furor after Sandpaper Gate and so forth. You know, they need to perform on the field, but they also need to act with dignity and grace mm. under pressure. Mm. Um, yes. in, in your lifetime as an observer of cricket, can you think of any other instances when the public was so upset with you know the national team as they were in the sandpaper scandal? I mean, the underarm incident was something, but mm. I don't think it was quite yeah. the same there. It wasn't, it wasn't so culturally in, ingrained. No, well, I saw it as kind of the flip side of, of the, the tragedy of Philip Hughes. You know, everyone in 2014 was... Um, uh, Felt an immediate sense of kinship and identification with these these young men who of whom we expect so much, and there was a great mm-hmm. deal of sympathy for them. We realised that they were only flesh and blood, uh, that they were that they had all sorts of anxieties and, and sensitivities, and there was a there was a strong sense of of ownership of that of that team and, and a great deal of sympathy. But uh, this was this was kind of the uh, the. The opposite of that, in the sense that we sort of said, "Not in our name, uh, you're our team," and uh, and as much as we uh, we we love you, um, that the flip side of love is is you know sometimes acute acute disappointment, and I think it reflected um, what what happened in in Sandpaper Gate was was um, certainly in my experience of the uh, of the Australian team, unexampled. You know, in previous controversies, there's always been at least. A handful or, or or a group of people who have been prepared to point to mitigating circumstances or to uh, to emphasise human frailty or uh, to, uh, to to point to prior episodes of of good behaviour. Here, opinion seemed to run unanimously against the players from the very beginning, even before we had a, a clear idea of exactly what had happened. Uh, so, in that sense, I think we were kind of uh, the public had been looking for something to rally around in order to express their their indignation and accumulating sense of indignation over the, over the preceding few years. Some of it of the game's own making. So, I think the players, a lot of the players, courted public unpopularity during the pay dispute of the of the previous year, uh, and that was with the uh, with the kind of the the implicit. Uh, connivance of, of, of Cricket Australia. Cricket Australia were quite prepared for the public to be huffy and indignant about overpaid players the, the previous year mm. and that ended up redounding on them uh, earlier this year. So, Gids, that's actually that's really fascinating that you you put it like that as well because I'm just sort of interested in, in, in CA particularly as opposed to the team and like, I mean, CA is a monopoly and they don't answer to anyone 
and 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 that seems to be including the sort of paying public um paying this year in more so um than just gate attendances but like is CA in any way steered by what the public reaction is? Because before you were just saying about, about you know the, the salary dispute, the rights deals, the team behaviour, mm. um, all these things caused massive public concern. Yet there didn't really seem to be much reaction from CA. So is that is that going to change at all? Do you think after this incident? Well, I mean, there's an acute concern about you know Australian cricket as a brand. Uh, as mm. distinct from a game, sure. uh, you know, over the last couple of years, uh, CA has been doing market research into the uh, uh, likability and the recognisability of the Australian team, and there have been signs of, of softness before now. That that uh, that what used to be regarded as you know the paramount national team in any sport ha- hasn't been travelling all that well for a while. But I think you know, the fundamental change that that. Uh, a lot of cricket fans are only sort of dimly aware of is how, you know, for a hundred years or so, cricket was run on a, on a federal model whereby the states, the state associations, owned Cricket Australia and they, and power was sort of diffused and devolved throughout the system. Uh, actually, a lot of, a lot of fundamental decisions were taken quite place, quite close to, to their outcomes. The advent of the independent board in, in 2012 has I mean, you can argue it's been hugely effective in an economic sense when you're selling television mm-hmm. rights for 1.2 billion. But by other measures, I think it's been a—it's beginning to seem like a far more mixed blessing. In particular, because Cricket Australia's monopolistic tendencies that you referred to before have made sort of uniformity and, and conformity mandatory. There's a lack of contestation in the system. The states have been largely neutered. Uh, the uh, for, for anyone really other than the players, uh, the levels of accountability are sort of zero. Uh, otherwise, it's <laughs> otherwise it's the media attempting to uh, to uh, hold up a mirror to the system. And uh, with the best will in the world, we're we're uh, we're, we're camp followers. We're we're very seldom camp challengers. Uh, unlike the football codes, where the clubs act as a kind of a, a counterweight to the prevailing authority, mm. w- with mm. a vengeance in the case of of the A League recently. Uh, the cricketers are in effect the only counterweight, which is, I think, why CA made such a concerted effort to break them last year during the uh, dispute over the collective bargain. Oh God, it's just so clinical, Gideon. Sorry, uh, just, it's, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, only a couple more uh, for you. Really appreciate your time. My favourite line, I think, from your book. There's so many, um, aside from. Who, the anonymous source who said that Lehman just told you to go out and whack it, um, which is hilarious uh, at the top level. But um, you, you have a line in there saying... You can hear it, can't you? Yeah, you can it's, hear it. Just whack it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Top level. You're getting smashed just by Yorgos. Yeah. <laughs> um, you wrote, Australian cricketers have always had their critics and at times have been easier to respect than love. Uh, so just looking forward, there's a couple of... Uh, little changes that they've made um, with with Langer and obviously Kevin Roberts is coming in, etc. Et He's got a bit of a grassroots mandate. Do do you think they're you know? And, and Tim Payne is obviously extremely likable and uh, seems to have been putting his best foot forward uh, to begin with. Do you think that that change um, from respect to love is possible uh, under the new uh, beta regime? I think we want to think well of our cricketers. I think we um, uh, we, we rally round when we feel as though the game is, is under pressure. And that one of the good things about this summer is that uh, there are lots and lots of unknowns, uh, whereas I think a lot of 
quite a few previous summers in Australian cricket, it's it's seemed monotonous even in prospect. Uh, you could see the touring team turning up, and you know we could expect with the kind of flat wicket cricket that that we play in Australia that they'd be beaten out of sight very quickly. Uh, there was just, there's, a, there's been a lack of drama. There's been a lack ebb and flow in, in in Australian summers. There's been a lot of shouting and a lot of cheering and a lot of uh, spectacle, but uh, but not a lot of genuine drama. And I think when the stakes are raised in in this way, uh, the game is kind of more stimulating, even if uh, it's potentially sort of more perilous. Uh, what does worry me is how the system reforms itself because there just do not seem to be the kind of forces inherent to to engender real change. When the states own Cricket Australia, but Cricket Australia provides 70% of the funding and and all of the strategic direction to those states, it's almost as though the game is kind of potentially just self-reinforcing and the the board is almost self-appointed. I'm puzzled by the status of the the simultaneous parallel reports, uh, the report by Simon Longstaff from the Ethics Centre into the culture and governance of, of Cricket Australia and the, uh, the inputs that Rick McCoskey is going to have into a, into a player's charter. From what I understand, their deliberations were done some time ago. I'm not quite sure what the argument is for them not to have come out already, uh, except insofar as uh, the AGM of Cricket Australia isn't until October the 25th whereupon uh, the states will get an opportunity to vote David Peaver, the chairman, in for another three years mm. uh, without the insights that those uh, those reports might offer. Uh, it just seems as though Craig Australia's intent at the moment on saying, look, look over there, it's a cricket game, uh, and <laughs> not addressing uh, their own kind of... how they might have contributed to, uh, to, to what transpired in Cape Town. There's been, I think, an over-eagerness to designate it as just the uh, the doings of, of three bad apples. Lone wolf kids, just <laughs> kids, just um, <laughs> just just last one from me, and it's a, it's it's two prongs, so a bit cheeky. But um, in the oh, book you God. said nobody goes to sleep honest and wakes up a cheat. Can you just explain that? And then on the back of that, can you give your opinion of of what you thought of the sanctions? Uh, I think that um, we've gone we, we've we fell into the habit. Of, of going up to that line in uh, mm. in, in all sorts of respects. Uh, and we talked about headbutting it. We talked about occasionally going over it, but 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 in general staying the right side of it. It just it just became a little bit too sort of self-reinforcing. It became like everyone uh, echoing everybody else uh, until they had absolutely no idea uh, where the line was or even whether it mattered uh, in the end. The, the thing that mattered was whether you got caught uh, when you mm-hmm. when you when when you transgressed. Uh, it was a shock to the system. It was a salutary shock, I think. Uh, as far as the sanctions are concerned, I mean they do very clearly reflect the need to be seen to be doing something, as mm-hmm. distinct from perhaps being a punishment fitted to the crime. Mm-hmm. And certainly, in, in hindsight, uh, they appear. You know, pretty draconian, especially considering that David Warner was never actually sanctioned by the ICC at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think we know anywhere near enough uh, about uh, the processes that went into constructing those 
sentences and, and indeed what Ian Roy's report uh, is said to have revealed. These things don't stay secret forever, of course. Um, our experience of war and war back in the mid-1990s was that <laughs> cricket can keep secrets for only so long mm. and eventually people will want to tell their own tales. Mm. Uh, you know, I guess, you know, down the track as, as players' autobiographies come out, we'll get the Rashomon phenomenon. Mm. Everyone's seeing the same events from, from multiple perspectives. Mm. But by then, of course, Cricket Australia will be hoping that the key personnel who've made the decisions there will have, will have moved on and the, uh, and the impact will be uh, slight and, uh, and, and gradual. But I think there is still a story to be told. That's not the story that I set out to tell in Crossing the Line, by the way. Uh, that, to me, is a story for the protagonists themselves to, uh, to tell. My question is not necessarily what happened so much as how we got there. Mm. Gids, you mentioned Shane Warne just now. Obviously, he's a competitor to you of sorts and that he also has a book out, um, <laughs> a hardbound <laughs> copy that retails at $50. Have you had a chance have you had a chance to thumb through that one yet, Gitz? Funnily enough, funnily enough, I have, yes, uh, I did. I, look, you know, I I will have, I love Warney, you know, if he's got something to say, I'll always listen to it. I love the fact that he continues to be a giver after all this time in this uh, increasingly banal and, and circumspect environment. He will just throw it out there. He will just say one day that, this is the worst Australian batting lineup that he has, that he's ever seen. And the following day, he'll say, "What a fantastic display of guts and determination from them." Uh, he, but you know, that's he he commentates and he talks and he writes exactly the way that he bowled leg spin. Um, it's kind of speculative. It's adventurous. If it doesn't work, then he'll deal with the consequences and and he'll own them because he's Shane Warne. Yeah, there were, there were some things that I learned from the book that I didn't know. There were some things that I learned from it that I didn't really want to know. But <laughs> in, in the end, there is there is some terrific stuff in it. The chapter on leg spin is absolutely marvellous. Uh, some of it is Warney going through the motions, but mm. uh, but uh, he makes up his own rules, and uh, and he's made up the, his own rules in his autobiography as well. Oh, it's oh, no. fantastic. It's a fantastic review, Gideon. You've been extremely generous with your time. Again, I can only recommend everyone to grab Crossing the Line. It's available. You know, you know, get on the internet, and just get it, find it. It's there. <laughs> um, it's um, it's a great book. Exhaustive um, clinical analysis of how we got to where we are in Australian cricket, and also a bunch of excellent anonymous yarns from players and uh, observers, past and present, <laughs> about what actually goes on at that level. Uh, so thanks, Gideon. Just finally, mate. Um, I caught you launching this book uh, on Wednesday at the MCG and uh, there was a question in there about um, whether you're expecting new media voices to change Australian cricket culture this summer and um, I was disappointed you didn't mention us actually uh, in that um, conversation. <laughs> you just said it's more of the same. Are you um, new? Yeah. <laughs> are you new exactly. or are you part of the establishment already? <laughs> Thanks very much uh, for coming on to the show and um, we'll, we'll catch you next no time. Thanks. Good idea. Thanks, boys. We grade cricketers work hard. Everything has to be hard at all times. Work hard. Circuit hard. Just be hard. Never smart. Always hard. Okay, lads. Uh, as you're no doubt aware, late night TV is a popular, well-established media phenomenon. 
especially in the US, you've got Colbert, Fallon, John Oliver, Conan, etc. And there are certain guests who just play really well on these shows, you know, absolute bankers, you know, bringing little witticisms and insights that we just can't get enough of. And just a question um, to, you know, to you, Dave, and here goes to kick off. You know, like, who do you think is the most frequent guest on late night TV? George Clooney. He's just suave um, and sophisticated with a with a wonderful salad. Is is he up there? No. Okay. It's Brian Cranston <laughs> of Breaking Bad fame. For athletes, it's Shaq. For musicians, uh, it's Ice Cube. Um, so for TGC, there's one guy we just can't get enough of. Uh, he's smart. He's got a heart. He can be alpha on cue. He brings a thousand test runs, ten thousand first class runs. Grabby little quotes that occasionally thrust us into the spotlight. Um, there's no one better to run the rule over Australian cricket this summer. I'm, of course, referring to our favourite guest, our Ice Cube, if you will. And I won't apologise for being over-familiar with him. Our very own Walter White. I'll say it. It's Ed Cowan. Ed, hello. <laughs> Best intro so far. You've been working on that. Ed. That was on top of my head. Yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's a new era. I've got the voices. Episode one, grade cricketer, season three, we get the we, same guest. No, we had to have Cowan. It's Cowan every time. Someone sledged us online about uh, possibly having Cowan. It's like, no, no, we actually are going to have him. Um, so to that person, <laughs> um, take that. But no, Ed, Ed how, how are you? Um, I, I want to talk about you a little bit uh, first before we go into the um, the current Aussie side. You've retired from first-class cricket. I'm keen to find out how it's going. Like, I, I stalked you on LinkedIn uh, a little bit. I, I see that you're with TDM Growth Partners, a private investment firm that operates on long-term horizons, fully aligned incentives, and a commitment to help build businesses they're proud of. Um, it's not the standard life post-cricket. How are you finding it? Well... Just taking it back a step, we'll get there. When are you announcing that I'm actually co-hosting the show this week? <laughs> <laughs> you basically are. I think it's your is fifth that, time public, on the show. Is that public yet or have I just dropped it? Have I just dropped it? <laughs> but li- okay, uh, back to – so life after cricket, amazing. You know, you know that you guys obviously saw the light a long time after I did. You know, like 10 years of the mm. grind, I've reclaimed my Saturdays mm. to an extent. <laughs> yeah. To an extent, I might add. I've, I've reclaimed my Saturdays. Loving work, great business, great people. It's the real world, and I'm mm. I'm loving it. I'm, I'm missing, you know, the video games and golf games that, mm. um, you know, go hand in hand with only training two hours a day. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the nine to five thing's growing on me. What's this? What does a Saturday morning look like to you? Because I am still playing a little bit of club cricket. Literally, uh, still plays first grade. (laughs) Made seventy in round one. That's okay. I'll just uh, carry on. uh, So Pip, you know, being a little bit alpha and picking and choosing the games depending on location uh, as to home and away fixtures, and specifically away fixtures outside of five k radius from my house. Um, so a little bit of club cricket, but Saturday is the, it's a joy, you know. A bit of exercise, went to the gym, spent some time with my daughter, who I've you know had to reintroduce myself to, and my wife. Um, so it's just an absolute treat. Ted, are you still doing the thing where, like, I've, one of the hardest bits of letting go was, like, just the things during the week, like, just tr- just trying to burn, like, you know, an hour at your job by just going through every single score that happened over the weekend, just familiarising yourself with names, you know, like, you know, T-Eds or whatever, just just a, just a random name. 
<laughs> are you, are you, just, are you just wondering what like that cricket? player's like in reality? But yeah, it's just a it's an initial to me when I'm reading him through the paper. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Are you still going through scores, Ed? Oh yeah. I'm, you know, obviously it's it's been digitalized so well with my cricket, and I can really do some deep research. You know, just particularly to understand. You know that. Averaging 25 is now a, a good thing. So um, <laughs> Thanks, Pat Howard. All these, uh, because the paper gives you nothing now. It's now mm-hmm. like what you what they used to give you, you know, the under-16 scores, the, the highlight mm-hmm. reel, mm-hmm. rather than the full score. Can't find the full scorecard anywhere. My cricket, Saturday night, on the couch, seeing who beat who, who got runs, who took wickets. Mm. Amazing. Sounds of interface as well. Mm. Cricket out of Beautiful UX. Yeah. <laughs> Not even a sponsor of ours. Okay, uh, just on the topic of um, grade cricket. Sponsors, it- tripodcoffee.com.au. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Hugo's had his first uh, tripod experience the other day, and he's wow. This is fantastic. Awesome. When did you guys start doing this? I was like, like five years ago. I loved it. The sponsor of the show a few cool. times. It's like, oh, awesome. It's the best coffee I've ever had. That's an awesome yeah. way to devalue all our actual at sponsors. WWW. <laughs> don't talk over it. Don't, don't talk over this bit. www.tripodcoffee.com.au. We're doing espresso com- uh, compatible oh, capsules. Sweet. Environmentally friendly. So you yeah. Five star hotels. Yeah. Cool. That sounds. So when I when I when I when I offered um, Ted a spot, you know, advertising, he said, "Mate, we got no money." Mm. So, mm. so we're going to do some integrated sponsorship readouts so <laughs> the audience doesn't quite <laughs> realise it's an ad, but I think mm. you, you, we can see. You basically, turn into neighbours. That's yeah. exactly right. Yeah, hundred percent. Hashtag New Era. Okay, cool. Well, um, anyway, uh, <laughs> Ed, we saw. Um, <laughs> Smith and uh, Warner returned to grade cricket recently. Uh, you know, as you know, as we all know, you know, Smith made eighty odd, Warner made a ton, and, and did the Toyota thing or whatever. Um, like, can you give us an insight into life as like a Test player returning to grade cricket? I mean, you've done it before. Like, what changes? You know, like you, you obviously get to look over every player's shoulder when you talk, and uh, but it, like, is there is there anything else like abstaining from warm up, team kit? Can you just talk us through the, the phenomenon of the Test player returning to grade cricket, please? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, there are a few key elements that you need to remember. One is you, you, it doesn't matter if you're an active participant or, you know, you're serving a ban of some sort. It's important to wear your cricket strategy shorts just so people know who you are. First and foremost, yeah, sure, put your club top on, but make sure there's just a little bit of symbolism that, yes, I am better than you. I think that is very important. Mm. Secondly, the you know there's a there's a strong correlation with how many tests you've played with level of number of fingers that you have to use while pulling the covers. And I know you alluded to this. <laughs> had, just, had just his forefinger and thumb on the covers. I, I actually think that was a little indulgent from him to actually have two fingers considering the number of tests he's played. I probably would have gone a lighter touch yeah. and just rested the palm on top of the right. cover. Or like just hooked his say, index finger through not. the hole at the corner or something yep. and just pull it along, yeah. Yep. <laughs> or stood in the middle and pretended to do the Hessian. <laughs> so like, uh, can I just, just on that as well? Uh, uh, so one of the things when it comes to like uh, pro players coming back to grade cricket, 
uh, is making sure you actually do use all the club kit and give the appearance of not wanting to use your first class gear or whatever. And about a decade ago, played in a match against Nathan Horrocks, who actually got littered uh, in the game, and it broke his Randwick helmet. And then one of the players ran out um, his state lid, presumably the only other lid in his kit, and he actually made this... He sort of openly refused it in front of everybody, and everyone else thought, oh, what a guy. He only wanted Randwick kit. And I just wonder, like, from a state player or test player's perspective, is that a bit village? Do you think, no, no, just use your Aussie kit? You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) No, I think, like, there there is a signal. I mean, people... What annoys me is the second eleven player more so trying to upskill himself by putting the the physio tape over his second eleven back yes. to make it look as though oh he's God. either played test cricket or first class cricket. That, yeah. That's probably a worse. I think people are very comfortable putting a state, uh, sorry, your club helmet on and using. You know, if you're playing for your club, you want to be involved in the club and you, mm. you use the right equipment. But sometimes it works the other way. People try and out. You know the the standard alpha is played one second eleven game, mm. make it look like you played <laughs> test cricket. Mm. What I found the, the the best thing that I've seen so far this summer, you know, two rounds into the season, is Steve Smith batting with his Australia lid in the Sutherland nets. Um, with just tape over the the Australian emblem, but like, did he not even have the New South Wales lid, which is also blue, oh, which matches yeah, the Sutherland? No. Like, it was just, and the fact he got bumped in the nets as well with a brand new, <laughs> the brand new ball, it was the best thing I've ever seen. So, the fact that, yeah, odd, I found that he put the tape over a green helmet for a, for a team that has a blue one. That is, you know, I thought, well, maybe it's his, maybe you know, somewhat fair Randley helmet that was, uh, yeah. Left over from the previous round. That was very Sydney centric. I'm sorry to everyone else yeah. in the country who you know, obviously knows that those? Sydney Premier Cricket is, in fact, uh, the stepping stone for Test cricket. We know that, so no other club competition <laughs> counts. Uh, as we know, Ed, you know, life has moved on between, uh, you know, beyond Smith and Warner, given uh, the the fourth innings heroics. Uh, of Kawaja, Payne, and everybody recently. Um, as this goes to where I think the second test is about to start. But um, you know, can you tell us from your point of view? Does the fourth innings uh, in Dubai herald the dawn of some sort of new stoic era of Australian batting, or have uh, Kawaja and Payne kind of papered over the cracks? Um, and you know, and what a papering it was. Oh, this is where you get one of those cheap quotes from me and you end up waking up and it's all over the news. That's, 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 right. that's a loaded question. That say it. Say the line. Question. Um, so what is my view on that is, look, Kawaja was, that was a phenomenal innings. You cannot take anything away from the skill level uh, and mental resilience that that innings showed. I, I think we're all a bit surprised as to uh, the wicket probably didn't break up as much as what we thought it was going to be, but that takes nothing away from what was pure skill. I think you know, what we saw was, yes, it's a new era, but it's are willing to play their cricket. I think uh, in teams gone by, and certainly under Darren Lehman, you know, it would have been that win at all costs, alpha male, you know, let's try and get these boys kind of attitude and we would have lost by 350. Mm. Uh, mm. So it was nice to see the discipline that Langer brings in and around the team is rubbing off. Uh, and I, I, I do think there's been a little cultural shift or, you know, slight, obviously uh, there's, you know, we're missing 
two players and a coach from from the last series. So there is going to be a change, but I think you could just how the players went about their cricket. It was noticeable, um, both in terms of their attitude toward, towards the opposition and also how they, they physically played the game. Ed, you're um, pretty good mates with Justin Langer. Um, the, the team selection itself raised some issues um, pre, pre-match pre with Marsh's batting at three and four, um, debutantes five, six. Um, do you have any, any conversations with uh, with Justin Is it in, in terms of you know the, the team that he selected? Uh, I, I, look, I called him up and, and had a bit of a yarn because I thought there were a few odd selections in there, that's for sure. Um, uh. I think it needs to be noted that, and this is, this is I know what you're angling for here, guys, this is not the forum <laughs> to unleash my Justin Langer impersonation. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you're not going to weasel that out of me <laughs> by, you know, going such an open-ended question like that. Um He's only one selector, so I don't know. You know, there's always an agenda, isn't there? And the other two, um, in Mezzers, um, Hones, and Chapel, I think yeah. until you know what we'll, I think until we see a little bit of a refurb of, of the selection panel itself, and also the the high performance department, it's not going to be a huge change. I mean, they were. I wrote a piece for the Australian. I'm sure you you read it. He goes being a subscriber to high quality uh, journalism, um, mm-hmm. but uh, you know my view the selection process is currently a little bit flawed. Regardless of what happened that last mm-hmm. test, I think there needs to be some some key metrics and some some pretty firm goalposts as to how they're going to pick that team moving forward. I think what we've seen is a bit of a movable feast in the past as to how and, and when you make the team. So I, I think under Justin, you'll probably see a bit more sort of concrete um, selection process. Mm. I mean, what do you think is the primary role of a coach these days anyway? I mean, Darren Lehman was always kind of like a man manager, one of the guys that, you know, the boys can really get around. Uh, you know, what do you look for as a professional cricketer from a coach? So I mean, this and yeah, this is an interesting topic. And, and P, you know, you've heard one time that, you know, when John Buchanan, the only coach I caught, was the one I hopped onto the ground. I, I think professional cricketers are always looking to improve, and they will try and source that information to improve from anywhere. And that relies heavily on the coach being able to articulate whether it be how to improve technically in certain situations. The beauty of cricket is we're throwing up so many different situations, whether it is. Uh, the conditions of the wicket, external, um, you know, and this provides a lot of points for different techniques. If you play with the same technique all around the world, you're not going to be a very good player. So you rely on other people who have had that similar experience to you uh, or to what you're going through to try and recreate how best to deal with it. And we saw that with Usman uh, the other day playing the ball off the back foot um, as opposed to lunging forward and getting his pad in the way, uh, that would have been a conversation he would have had with Justin Langer and they would have formulated a game plan together. So to say, you know, test players don't need a coach, I think is fundamentally flawed. Mm. I think a good coach becomes a mentor, both tactically, technically and and mentally. Just um, 
on Usman, Ed, uh, can you just tell us a little bit about him? Because a lot of the narrative at the moment is that he's really turned a corner. I know that, you know, the Daily Telegraph, you know, News Limited made a big fuss (laughs) about him losing (laughs) seven kilos a few weeks ago and thus should be considered for the captaincy. Um, You know, he was quite like, which says a lot about Australian culture, but like, you know, he was sort of bullish in his comments after the game around, you know, sort of intimating, not to put words in his mouth, but sort of intimating that he'd actually been a really hard worker for a long time and that, you you know that perhaps this innings was more just a reflection of, of what he was capable of rather than you know the result of any kind of recent revolution um he's he's averaged 45 for a really good solid period can you just tell us a little bit about him uh kind of as a as a bloke and and is this is this is this innings the making of him or is he sort of been capable of this for a long time yeah well i think as a human he's an a1 character there's no denying that he's been a heavy run scorer for essentially his entire professional career. Uh, and at times has probably been a, a bit misunderstood in and around um, you know, his capabilities. I think it, it's been pretty much worked over by um, you know, by Darren Lehman and, and the selection policy that was implemented a few times. Um, you know, he had half a bad tour in Asia and then went in and out of the team and never really found some momentum. So I think what we're seeing is actually a coach who's saying, you can play spin, I know you can, and let's work together to make sure that that happens in a test match rather than I don't think you can play spin or you haven't shown to me you can play spin and so I'm just going to ditch you and only pick you in Australia. So I think that has played on his mind for a long time. Mm. Uh, I've seen him him bat for... 16 years, 17 years, and he's a very good player of spin. He's always been able to play high-quality spin. Mm. But learning to play it around the world takes time. It took Ricky Ponting three tours of India to score a Test 100 in India. So it's not an easy thing to do. Uh, And I think he's now reaping the benefits of of just a little bit more confidence in his ability. Um, And he's a guy that we should really be basing. He's now our best batsman by a country mile without Steve Smith there. And we should be basing the, the team around around his runs. Yeah, do you reckon if we got like humiliated in the first test and, and you know, on day two, three, it, it looked very likely that could have been the case. Do you reckon that would have just resulted in absolute panic stations for Australian cricket? No, I think it was probably the, the result that people expected. So I, I, I think it would have been just a, a par result. I think what people forget and they, they see the, the fourth inning salvage job, Australia played really well throughout the test match bar two hours of carnage. And it sort of opened up that old mental wound that we can't play spin. But the bowlers were actually brilliant in the first innings. And then, you know, obviously behind the eight ball and the second being so far behind the game. But when they got 480 or 490, whatever they got, it it felt like a bit of a pass score. It was so flat. Uh, And then we were none for 100. And then the collapse. So it it was a bad two hours, yes. Uh, but the rest of the puzzle was actually pretty clear for, for the team. So I, I think it's easy to look at little bits of um, events in isolation. But if we'd been beaten, I don't think it would have been panic. It would have been, well, we've gone over there with a young, experienced team, three debutantes. That's probably the result that we're expecting. Ted, I think um, one of the other boys are going to ask you about Tim Payne. So I know you're, you're, you're relatively close with him, would have played a lot of cricket with him um, over the years. But just before then, I just want to ask you about um, Mickey Arthur because he was obviously the Australian coach when, um, when you were um, in the team. 
and he's now the coach of Pakistan. He just seems like a really lovely bloke. <laughs> um, and was he sort of like you know, when he, when he was um, you know in charge of Australia? Was he sort of the right coach at the wrong time, or the, or the wrong coach at the wrong time, or like? <laughs> What's what's what have your dealings been with Mickey Arthur? Yeah, good question. I'm a super nice guy, uh, mm. and, a, and a really talented and successful coach in his own right. I think it's always hard for an outsider to coach the Australian team, regardless of sport. Sure. I think he would have been a very good coach, maybe with a different captain. Although him, he and Mike Clark had a, had a pretty good relationship while while he was the coach. Uh, you know, strong on cultural values, strong on um, player power, all the things that players actually really enjoy. He was mm. trying to drive change. Uh, he probably mm. found some resistance, um, probably inside Creek Australia more so than the, than the change room. Um, and he, he found a team in transition, really. Mm. When, when a team mm. loses Ponting and Hussey in the space of 12 months, you're going to be scrapping around for a little bit. Um and you know, I think he probably had less of a go at it than than others, based on the fact that he was an Australian. But you know, yeah. he, he's proven himself to be a high quality coach. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of the right way to to phrase this, said because we've been skirting around this idea that you know coaches create the environment, and there's a lot of talk in Australian cricket about systems and who it kind of promotes and who it doesn't. And I'm sure you know you. You could think of, you know, we could all think of, you know, three or four players that, you know, in a different time or a different era might have played many, many more tests for Australia. You know, you have said yourself, and I'm sure we agree that, like, that day five doesn't really happen under Darren Lehman because of the style with which they play. So so Langer has clearly got to take some credit for, like, creating an environment for, for those guys, like Kawaja and Payne, to kind of express this level of resilience that, like hadn't been valued before. And I, I guess what I want to know is, you know, do you think you could have played 20 more tests? <laughs> <laughs> Did you say 120? Yes, yes. That's <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know how to answer that. I, look, I think I had a fair crack at it and didn't take my opportunity from a personal point of view. But the oddity being I probably then was a much better player two or three years later and would have liked another opportunity. Mm. But it just, you know, didn't happen, um, but with, with no regrets. So I, I think the, the key point: coaches set a, or you know, any cultural leader sets a set of behaviours that are acceptable. And if you accept a certain level of behaviour, that's what you get. And I think that's what we've seen. And all of a sudden, that bar's been raised, and we've seen people step up to that. All right, Ted. I'll ask the question. Um, Tim Payne, how hard a job has he got? How important was that innings um, that he played uh, in the first test, not only just to save the test match, but also for his own um, credibility within the team as a player? Obviously, he seems like a super lovely guy, handshakes before the game, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know him relatively well, I think. Um, uh, how big a job has he got? He's got a massive job, but it's it's only upside. How like Imagine stepping into a job where the last bloke's literally been suspended for 12 months. <laughs> One of the biggest scandals. Happy days. It is an absolute. It is. It's a free swing. So yeah, it's a hard job. But literally any change is from here's a good change. Um, Mm. So I think the big issue is, Fiamme. His glove work in that test was absolutely impeccable, and he was Mm. so neat. Well, he is the best keeper in Australia. The question mark always be: Is he going to get enough runs if you are wicket keeper? or deem it that person to have to score runs. If it's purely a wicket-keeping decision, he's the man. 
but you know, if the top six isn't getting runs, he's in at five for a hundred, and we need him. Yeah, it becomes a different kind of um, question. But I think hey, I mean, he's the right guy to to pick us up out of this quagmire, this cultural quagmire. He'll, he'll lead from the front. Uh, he's a strong personality, but you know, has also learnt to um, show deep empathy for, for teammates. And uh, look, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens on his leadership this summer. It's, it's such a clinic, such clinical answers, Ed. After a um a wild opening to I this interview. I'm not getting many laughs. So, you know, no, I know. Well, you're a hedge fund, you're a hedge fund manager the, now, so it's all about long term horizons and stuff. Yeah, I actually think sometimes you know, like if you think of the great t- TV shows that you watch, series one gets you hooked. Series two is always amazing. Series three is always. It's just honestly. It never meets any kind of expectation. No. Uh, I kind of feel like the TGC brand is at that point in time. Like, yeah. I saw you on the Cricket Australia website. Mm. It was absolute dross. That was, yeah, yeah. Like, honestly, it's like, what is going on with these folks? Are they so desperate for 500 bucks that they go on the Cricket Australia website? So I kind of feel like we're almost at a bit of a tipping point, a negative inflection point, and mm. basically next year people are going, can you remember those great cricket players? What are they up to? Mm. Oh, yeah. So, no, I think they're running the Cricket Shouts Twitter page now. You know, like, so I think so. Park cricketer. We just, we need to kind of work out, I think maybe we can have a little sit down where... We're taking the podcast. <laughs> I think we can do a bit better than what's come out. Well, he said he's going to co host and he's announced yeah. an, ab- an advertisement <laughs> for his own coffee company. Yeah. Cowan's um, literally come <laughs> on and, and just, and just yeah. come on as a hedge fund host, a hedge fund uh, manager now. <laughs> he's going to co host the show. He's advertised his other company and now he's just told us how shit we are. <laughs> It's, it's fully out. I was going to ask him if he wanted to invest in us, but now I'm just scared of it. It's future. a pyramid scheme. This is all a pyramid scheme. Yeah. It's been great having you on, though. <laughs> oh, look, I, I've enjoyed it. I don't know if any of the listeners will or would have, but look, it's just good fun, you guys. I, look, I love you dearly. Mm. I can't wait to start our TV show that's in the works as mm. well. Mm. Um, I feel that's got huge legs. <laughs> And uh, obviously I'll be hosting that and, you know, leveraging contacts I like in in amongst the industry. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds sounds good. So aside from when you're going to be um, entirely usurping this show, where where else can people hear you this summer? You're on the ABC, aren't you? Is it Fox as well? Oh, look, it's... It's you know you thought Eddie McGuire was uh, Eddie everywhere. I'm I'm playing on you know hitting screens and, and wireless around the country 24 seven. That's uh, that's the plan this summer. Sounds good. All right. Well, you can catch Ed um, pretty much everywhere. Thanks for coming on the show, mate. <laughs> Thanks for having me, boys. It has been referred to as uh, the, the best uh, sports writing tribute to, to a particular sport since Fever Pitch. Uh, does it do anything to enhance literature would be another question. Another. I wouldn't even call it literature, really. Just before we get into the final part of the show, hashtag AskTGC, um, a, a reminder that we are available for MC and entertainment duties all around the country. We've already been booked across the land on the other side. Uh, of the country in Perth. We've got multiple gigs in Sydney and Melbourne coming up. 
So if you do want to uh, book us for your club function, or any function for that matter, get us, um, well, the best way to do that, social media is always the best way to do that. Slide into our DMs. If you're sick of Rodney Hogg talking about old cricket stories, book us and we'll talk about our less old cricket stories. All right. Mm. Less old stories, just but from late 90s. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, Nathan on Twitter says, Fellas, off-season, ask TGC for you. When batting in a net session, calling out the number of runs that each shot would have theoretically resulted in after every ball. Alpha or rare? As a bowler, I fucking hate it, but that's because I'm beaser as fuck and have a shitty rig. Thoughts? They're always really jarring, aren't they? People critique themselves, aggressively critique themselves. Mm. Um, I bet you don't, Nathan. I'm sure you've got a great rig. Uh, for starters, but yeah, I think it's a like whoever does that if they do it consistently, unless they're sort of doing it ironically, they're probably mm. a bad person. But mm. it is quite alpha and it is mm. quite funny if they're doing it to someone you hate. You know what yeah. I mean? It's a, it's a slippery slope. I mean, I always whispered it to myself like internally, like nudge one off the hip, <laughs> come on. But I never would vocalise it internally. Worst yeah. is the batsman that actually runs the two. You know, there's two, and then he actually runs. Up the wicket in the back when it's not one of those situations where two batsmen are alternating the strike. In, in about like um two two thousand and five, I um decided to get some cricket coaching and like I remember reading. Uh, I was just trying to like pick up as much as I could about batting and reading Ian Chapel say that like you should you've always got to challenge your negative thoughts mm-hmm. because you know when you're batting in the nets and stuff you always like yell out fuck or something like that just to connote that that was a mistake even mm-hmm. though it wasn't that was just mm-hmm. your level and mm-hmm. so I was trying really hard to like be positive about things that I'd done well and and it boiled over in a game once where I um hit a ball straight to mid off but I hit it really well and I just accidentally yelled out great shot. <laughs> and uh, everyone just started cacking up. Yeah. Um, so that was rare. Carry on. I used to do that. I used to yell at myself for playing a bad shot, but in, in actual fact, I was just angry at myself for still playing cricket. Word of the Lord on Twitter says, what's your thoughts on the Australian cricket coach stating in a recent interview that his favourite moment of his career was the day he retired? <laughs> Honest. Mm. I like him all. I like it. I like mm. that. So much talk about toxic masculinity these days it's refreshing just to hear someone be honest about their feelings mm. <laughs> All right. Fav- like my, my favorite moment of my career mm. was the day i stopped my career that's <laughs> just, that's worrying if i'm a player for australia and he's the coach yeah. no nah, yeah. it's good it's good honesty yeah. carry on facebook jeff simmer says hey boys faf bringing in a specialist coin tosser is this possibly one of the biggest alpha plays of all time um, for those who don't know about that, well, I mean, the question just says everything. Um, Faf lost mm. six coin tosses in a row, and then he got someone else to, to toss the coin for him. Mm. I saw that. Coin toss chat is um, some of the most banal chat of all time. It's just 50-50, just let it be what it is. Yeah, no, I actually read that article, and I saw that, you know, he's done, like, 79 coin tosses and, like, mm. 39-40. <laughs> so, like, it, it's, it's <laughs> a genuine 50-50, and it will always even out over time, yeah. so... Cricket is a fucking mm. weird with superstition. Mm. Yeah, so it's—I mean—it's not the biggest alpha play of all time because we've already discussed it's this. It's good delegation. I mean, delegation is important for good mm. leaders. Carry on. Mm. More than anything, he's probably more likely to get six in a row now. Mm. Mathematically speaking, I think I. No, I'm not going to go into like actually. It's no. Every, do you guys every still shadow bat? Like, do you guys still shadow bat in public for any reason? Like, like, I've been why? retired for so long. I'm asking. <laughs> Like, I've just been retired for so long that, like, I would never contemplate, like, being in a lift and just, you know, getting on the front dog. Or... 
But if you're holding an umbrella, Dave, like it's been raining in Sydney the last week, mm-hmm. and I'm sure you've been carrying around some, some, you know, an umbrella or two. Yeah. Um, and you, it's just the perfect, like it's a cricket bat, but it's just for everyday life. Mm-hmm. You can't not just flick one off your pads mm-hmm. or one off the hip <sighs> or something. Mm-hmm. I've seen blokes in my work building like do golf swings because golf is sure. a corporate sport and that's more acceptable. Yes. You know, you're wearing mm-hmm. a suit, and you've got mm-hmm. a long corporate umbrella. But I don't just, that mm-hmm. cricket's just played by blokes who go to office works, it's where they work. All right, last one for the first week back. Um, using the hashtag RCGC, PG, PJ Ford has written in a wonderful question, and I put it to you, chaps. I've been a huge fan of the show for quite a while now, and about a year back, I introduced some cricket mates to your book and social media who also love your stuff. Unfortunately, one of my cricket mates, who happens to be the best stick in the side with an average of 17.4, has had a revelation Mm -hmm. and as a result of your program that he no longer enjoys cricket and has subsequently quit. (laughs) Our batting socks are now looking seriously underdone with ring-ins as young as 15 being required to fill in to replace him. He's one of the only blokes in the side that couples being a halfway decent cricketer with being a good bloke. And as such, I'm fucking ropeable that he's left me to rot in the cesspit that is the near village level cricket that I'm playing. My question is, is my anger towards him actually revelatory of my jealousy that he has had the guts to remove himself from the violently toxic environment that is Australian cricket, or is he just being a pussy? Am I so angry because he has been enlightened to the fact that playing cricket does not substitute for a personality? Has he actually achieved ultimate alphadom by no longer searching for his father's approval? Seeing as you created this monster, hopefully you can fix it. Cheers. Uh, one of those ones that yeah. provides the joke within the question. Yeah. <laughs> Here's this problem I've got. Here's five funny answers. Yeah. <laughs> what it could yeah. be. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, um, it just sounds like he's probably made a good decision. <laughs> uh, that has not PJ one bit. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what he wanted, a hug, mate. I don't know what he... Yeah, gloves? I'm not sure what he wants. Um, all right. Um, it's been a wonderful first show. Cowan, Hay, Perry, Edwards, Higgins. Those, those last names mean nothing to anyone. Um, thanks for tuning in. It's been a huge first week back. Um, we're sorry we left you for so long, but we're back again next week. Australia going to win 2-0.